Hey, I'm going to actually pray for us just as we begin uh, our, our um, look at God's word tonight. So would you uh, just join me in praying? Father, uh, we ask that you would speak to us as we open your word. We ask that you would open our minds and we ask that you would open our hearts. And God, we all come in here uh, in different ways and in different um, just emotional states, whether we come in with suffering or we come in just having uh, had a great time today. We come in in different places, but God, we need you, and we ask that you would speak to us. And um, we don't want this time to be wasted. There's so many things that we could be doing with our time, but we give this time to you because we believe that you are a God that is alive and wants us to know you and wants to speak to us tonight. And so we ask that you would do that, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, we are starting a new series talking about building a life and what it looks like to really focus on what matters most in life. And I think this is uh, something that is very important for us to think about. Obviously, as you talk about what does it look like to actually build a life that is focusing on the things that matter most. It's a very important thing, and we'll be taking uh, six weeks to really focus in on this. And a handful of weeks ago was at um, a funeral, and I hadn't been to a funeral in about a decade, I think, and it was my wife's grandma, and she passed away, and we went uh, to California, and as I've been thinking about these ideas, about building a life, uh, being there really helped me even think more about it, because I don't know when the last time you were at a funeral was. This was actually the funeral that we were at. It's, um, it's this beautiful place in uh, California. But as I was there, just thinking, is there's all of these literally thousands and thousands and thousands of tombstones and big, giant, kind of temple-looking things as well, where people are buried there, and then giant walls where people that are cremated, they sometimes will have the urn in there. And I mean, just thousands and thousands of people represented. And like I said, I don't know when the last time you were at a funeral was, but I started to think about this and started to reflect on this, especially knowing that I was preparing for this series. And we did a graveside kind of remembrance for Sarah's grandma. And we had this tent, because it's California, so it's sunny, so we had this tent kind of on the lawn here. And the tent was sitting on top of several of these tombstones, the tent pegs and all the chairs, and, and that's just kind of the normal thing. And thinking, man, we're, we're sitting here on top of people's tombstones, and we're sitting in this um, acres and acres of thousands of people that are buried. I'm thinking about this, that we live, we live our lives, we struggle, and we suffer, and we play, and we work, and we, we have relationships, we live our lives, and then we're forgotten. We live and then we're forgotten, such that we have tent pegs or chairs on top of us as we're talking about another person that has passed. We live our lives and then we are forgotten. So what does that mean then? And sorry if uh, that's a little bit of a kill story, like, oh, thank you for brightening my day today. But we live our lives and then we turn into a, a piece of stone on grass that somebody else's chair is going to be on top of as they're reflecting about someone else that's going to be a piece of stone that someone else is going to be on top of. And so what does that mean? I mean, our lives are so short. We live and then are forgotten. So what does that mean? 
Does it mean, I mean, because we feel this at different times. If you, if you go to a funeral, if someone you love uh, dies, if, if you watch maybe some uh, thing on the news, I mean, different things kick up these feelings in us at different times. But what does it mean? We live and then we're forgotten, so what? So what? Does it mean just, hey, live it up then? I mean, if I'm going to live my life and it's only this short and then I'm going to be forgotten, then live it up. That's Tim McGraw, right? And I love Tim. I'm not knocking Tim McGee, okay? He's great. Saw him at Red Rocks. He's my boy, okay? Um, not, real, not like I have a text from him, but I just like him. He wears deep Vs and he's like 60. So, I mean, he's great. <clears throat> and he's a cowboy with sparkled jeans. So, but what happens, Tim McGraw's song, you know, he's famous for it, Live Like You Were Dying. I mean, is that, you know, I go, I, I know I was going to die, so skydiving and bull named Fu Manchu, right, and, and all that stuff. Is that what it means? Like we, we live our lives and we're going to be forgotten, so in this short span, live it up. Do whatever you can. Just make it, make it as great as it can be. Get your bucket list. Check those things off. Make it as, as great as you can because you're going to live and then be forgotten. Is that what it means? Or does it mean maybe some would say, no, you know, that's selfish and that's just kind of, it, it's just kind of futile because, yeah, sure, you can live it up, but you're still dead, you're still forgotten. So does it mean, man, live a great life, live a life that's worth remembering, live a life that, that maybe people will build a statue of or something, live a life that, man, really leaves a legacy. And yet, you've seen statues. Go downtown Denver, go to Civic Park or or, or go, go to Colorado Springs, and, and I mean, there's statues everywhere of different founders of Denver, different things that have happened in Denver, and, and we don't, I mean, we look at them and go, oh, there's a statue. I mean, pigeons poop on them, but I'm not saying they didn't do anything significant, but if we say, man, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to try to be selfish and just live it up and go the Tim McGraw style. I'm going to live a life of greatness. I'm going to live a life that's worth remembering. I mean, Probably none of us in here are going to have a statue built about us. But even the people that have statues, but we don't even know who they are. I mean, even think about this. Do you even know who your great, great grandpa is? I don't. Maybe you do. Some families are really into kind of the lineage. And, but even if you do, I mean, what, how much do you really know about him? I knew my great grandpa, but I, I mean, I've got a couple memories of him. That's it. But my great-great-grandpa couldn't even tell you his name. Don't know anything about him. So even in our own families, we live and then we're forgotten. So what? Live it up? Just try to live a leave a legacy and yet pigeon poop is going to be on you even if you do that? So what? One life. We have one life. And we'll live and we'll be forgotten so what do we do? And here's what, here's what the Psalms say. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength. So you eat a lot of organic food and you, work, you do CrossFit. Even by reason of strength, 80. So great, you added 10 more years. Good job. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They're soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power, and then he's talking to God about death, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. See, he says, 
Life is short. It's 70, or even if, man, you really figure it out, 80. And we can say, okay, it's 80, maybe 90, 90, maybe 100, okay? But the, but the principle stands true. It's short, and it's toil and trouble, and then it's gone. It flies away. The years are gone. So, so here's what he says. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Help us to look at our life. Help us to, help us to think. Help us to count our life so that we live with wisdom. So the question is, how do we know if we used our life the best way then? How do we know if we used it with wisdom? Because life is short and then we are forgotten. Life, that's just the reality, right? Life is short and then we're forgotten. So what do we actually do with it then? I don't think it's live it up. I don't think it's even try to make a name for yourself and live some great life and leave some legacy. And the psalmist says, what we need to do is Number our days so that we live with wisdom. So how do we know if we used our life the best way? How do we know if we used it with wisdom? And you know if you're living the best way. You know if you're living with purpose if you know what it's for. So you you know how something is supposed to be used if you know what it's for. Now, here's what I mean. Like, if you pour out wine, is that wasting it? Well, it depends. If you pour it in the sink or if you pour it in a glass. So you know, you know how something's supposed to be used if you know what it's for. Or think about it this way. Here's another analogy. If you don't drink wine or don't drink anything, then here's another analogy. You know, if you're building a puzzle and there's a picture on a box, Right? Maybe you haven't built, maybe Legos, okay? So if, if you're younger, if you've ever built Legos, there's a picture on a box. There's a picture on a box, and if you gather all those puzzle pieces together and you start building something, but you're not looking at the picture on the box, you're just kind of putting pieces together and just it's going this way and it's going that way. Sometimes that's what it looks like as we're building our life. We are actively building something, but maybe it's aimless. It's just kind of, I'm doing this and I'm doing that because we're not looking at what's this actually for? What's this actually supposed to be? How do I know what to build it towards? We're not actually looking at the picture. We're just, we're just kind of aimlessly building with all these puzzle pieces. And so at the end, maybe there's all these puzzle pieces that are spread out over the table, but we haven't actually built the picture because we don't know what it's for. Or maybe we are building something. You've got your puzzle pieces and you're putting them together, and, but, but you're supposed to be building this picture this scenery but instead you've built something entirely different you've kind of you know managed to mush the puzzle pieces together to form some sort of picture you're building something it's not aimless you have a picture in your mind but maybe it's not the picture that's on the box and so my question is if life is short and then we're forgotten if life is short and then we're forgotten how do we know if we used our life the best way How do we know if we used it the best way? And what the psalm says is we have to live with wisdom. We have to number our days to live with wisdom, which means we have to know what life is actually for. We have to have the right picture in our mind that we are building towards when we're building a life. What's the picture in your mind? Like if you get to the end of your life, what is that picture? that you want it to be, that you're working towards, or maybe, it's, maybe you don't think about the end of your life. What's the picture in five years you're trying to work towards? Most of us have some picture of, man, this is where I'm trying to get to. 
Life is short, and then we're forgotten. But to live with wisdom is to use life for what it's actually for. And so the question is, what should our life be building towards? What is that picture? What should our life be building towards? Is there a picture on the box of the puzzle pieces that sort of fit everything together? What should our life be building towards? What's the picture that, that as we envision, what do I want life to be? What, what am I actually moving towards? All the different puzzle pieces in our lives, what is it supposed to be building towards? Is it supposed to be family or career or religion or fun? What is the picture that makes a wise life that we should be building towards? What should our life be building towards? Do you have a picture in your mind? Do you have a picture in your mind that's on the box, that the different puzzle pieces of your life, your time and your decisions and your recreation and your family and your money and your, I mean, all the different things. Do you, do you have a picture in your mind of what it's all moving towards? Even if you don't have an actual picture or something written out, our lives are moving somewhere. They're moving in a direction. And, and life is short, and then we're forgotten. So we, we, we would do well to say, man, what's the picture that it should actually be moving towards? And what is it? Is there, is there something? And here's what the Bible says. If we are to hear from God what, what he says our lives are about, what they should be moving towards. Here's what he says. In Isaiah, and I'll show you a couple different verses. This is God speaking. The prophet Isaiah speaks this and says, I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. God says, bring all these people, all the people that I created for, what are they made for? Why did I make them for my glory? Or in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes to the church in Corinth and he says this, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. He's saying, look, you don't even belong to you anymore. For those of you that are Christians, that Jesus bought you with a price, so what? So glorify God. Or he says it like this later, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, I mean, this is just a sampling of a few verses but you, you read through the Bible, this is what it says over and over and over and over and over again, that what should our life be building towards? What, what are we made for? What, what, is it that, what, what is it that we exist for? What is it that our purpose is? And, and what the Bible says is that we were created for in every single thing in our life. Paul says, whatever you, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, what, I mean, whatever you're, if you're, if you have a cup of coffee and you're drinking that, I mean, he's getting down to details. Whatever you do, whether you're eating or drinking, whatever you do, here's what God made you for. He made you. Here's what the purpose of your life is. Here's the picture that our life should be building towards. It's to glorify God. Now, what does that mean? Because maybe that sounds like, you know, 
just jargon of, oh, glorify God. But what does that mean? Well, to glorify means to show the goodness or the greatness of something. If I was to glorify to you, if I was to glorify to you the mountains, I know many of us like to ski. I love to ski. I love to uh, be in the mountains. And if I was to glorify to you the mountains, I would sit down and talk with you about, look at the, man, the mountains. This is my favorite mountain. This is my favorite run and all the powder and all that. I mean, we, we talk like that. We're glorifying the mountains. To glorify is to show the goodness, to show the greatness of something. And, and what God says is that our lives were made to show his goodness. They were made to show his greatness. They were made to show what he's like. They were made to show his character, that our lives, everything in our life, from eating to drinking to whatever you do, from the very existence that we have, it was made to show the goodness and the greatness of God. That's what we were made for. That's what we were designed for. That's what our lives are actually supposed to be about. That what we should be building our life towards is, I want to glorify God. I want to show what God is like. Now, if we're honest, how many of us, that's actually the picture that's on the box. That we're saying, yeah, I'm trying to arrange my eating and my drinking and whatever I do to be built around showing the goodness and greatness of God and what he's like. That's what my life is building towards. Is it? See, here's, here's why this is really cool. What this means is that we're right so many of us feel there's something more to life. Often we've felt like that, right? Have you felt like that? There's something more to life. There's, there's something bigger to life. And the Bible says there is. You were actually made for something huge. You were made not for some small little thing. You were made to show the goodness and greatness of God. Every piece of your life matters. That's what it also means. That every single piece of your life matters that you were designed and made for something way bigger than you each of us was to show the goodness and greatness of God what should our life be building towards if there's a picture on the box and all the different puzzle pieces in our life are arranged around something what's it supposed to be arranged around it's supposed to be arranged around showing glorifying the goodness and greatness of God but, easier said than done, what, what keeps us from this? If that's what the end of our life, if, if, if we live and then we're forgotten, if we live and then we're forgotten, so, so all of us have to take an account and go, so what am I going to do with this little sliver of life I got? If I live and then I'm just going to be forgotten, what do I do with this? Do I just live it up and go skydiving and have as many of my bucket list items checked off? Is that really what life is? Or is it, no, I need to leave a legacy and be great? Is that really what life is? The Bible paints a different picture. It says all of your life is designed to show the goodness and greatness of God. That's what everything is supposed to be building towards. But what keeps us from doing this? What keeps us from that? Because maybe you've heard that before. Maybe. Maybe not. I think it's an idea we don't often think about. But even if you've heard it before, what, what keeps us from that? And maybe you don't even know what keeps you from that. Maybe you haven't even thought about that before. What, what keeps us from building our life towards this end? And I want to look at a story in the Bible that illustrates this well. And it's a, it's a meeting that Jesus has with a young guy. 
a young guy, I think, that is like many of us. And this is in Mark chapter 10. It says this, talking about Jesus. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. This guy says, Yeah, I've got it. Check. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, amazed because in their culture, just as is in ours, those that have wealth and have success are looked at as actually the people that are blessed by God. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. So imagine big old camel beast fitting through a little tip of a needle. Jesus says that's easier than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. So Peter says, look, we, we've done it. We, we've done what you've said. We left it all to follow you. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. What does this story show us of what keeps us from building our life towards this end? If all of our life is supposed to be built towards showing the goodness and the greatness of who God is, what keeps us from this? And this story is such a great illustration of this. It's very similar, the rich man, to us. You know, what's interesting is this man in the story, he runs up to Jesus and he kneels before him with respect and reverence and says to him, good teacher. You think about that. In the story, the character that we're not supposed to be like shows great respect for Jesus. He, he, he shows great humility and even coming to Jesus and saying, I, I want you to speak to me about life. I want you to help me understand how to inherit life. He runs before him and kneels before him. This is in many ways someone we would look at and say, we should emulate that. And maybe today, and I don't know everybody in here, maybe today for you, you're someone that is very interested in Jesus and has respect for Jesus and considers him a, a good teacher and someone that is worth even kneeling before and saying, I want to learn from you. 
There's a lot of good things about this man that, that we see. There's a lot of good things, but he left this interaction with Jesus sad. He left this interaction with Jesus sorrowful. It says disheartened. Why? What happened? What, what kept him from building his life towards the end that we are created for? What happened? Why, why, why did he leave sad? Why an interaction with this person he respected and then it ends up going, I'm walking away sorrowful and disheartened. And what happens in the story is that Jesus says, okay, great, you've been good. Okay, you've done some good stuff. Great. But there's one thing I want you to do. I want you to sell everything to get rid of all your riches and come and follow me. And so is the point of the story that all of us, if, if we're supposed to build our life towards this end, is to sell everything to the poor? No. Because that's not how Jesus responds to everybody that he meets. And even in this story, Jesus then broadens it. And he says what? He says, look, it's, yes, I'm talking to this guy about his wealth, but then he mentions leaving family and leaving brothers and sisters and children and houses and lands for his sake. If you read through the Bible, when Jesus calls different people to follow him, he will have them leave things to follow him. He may tell someone to leave their job and follow him. Stop being a fisherman. Come and follow me. He may tell one, one person he interacts with, says, hey, um, I got to go bury my dad first before I follow you. And Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. Come follow me. And so Jesus is always pointing at these different things in our lives. For this guy, it was riches. The point isn't what the thing is. The point is that Jesus looked at him and said, come and follow me. See, what kept this man from following Jesus? What kept this man from building his life in a different way? For him, it was riches. For him, it was riches. For him, it was something that was more important more attractive, more beautiful, something that had gripped his heart more than life with Jesus, something that had gripped his heart more, something that he got even a sense of identity from, that he couldn't leave, that he couldn't depart with to go and be with Jesus. What keeps us from living our life towards this end. For this man, it was riches, but Jesus mentions other things. What is it for you? If Jesus were to come to you and say, follow me, I want you to leave this thing and follow me, what would it be for you that would make that disheartening, that would make that sorrowful? Would it be your time or your possessions, or maybe like this, your money, or your family, or what would it be that if Jesus were to come near to you and say, I want you to build your life towards showing my goodness and my greatness. I want your whole life to be about glorifying me. What is it for us? Because you know what's interesting in this story? If you're the narrator, see, we get the narrator's perspective, right? We get a look at the story, and from the narrator's perspective, none of us is looking at the rich man and going, good job, dude. 
good work. We're looking at it going, no, no, no. So do you ever watch a movie and you've already seen it before, but you're like, don't do, don't, if it's a scary movie, don't go in there, you know. Or if it's a comedy, you know, and you're like, no, don't. Or if it's a rom especially a romantic comedy, just tell her the truth. Just tell her. Tell her you love her. I mean, you, you scream at the TV. Maybe, okay, you don't. Okay, I do. I scream at the TV. Just throw the ring in. Just throw it in. Okay. That's Lord of the Rings for those of you like, huh? I, don't, I haven't seen that one. We get the narrator's perspective of the story. We get to look at it and go, Dude, don't do that. But in his perspective, in the middle of the story, he is thinking, <sighs> right? He walks away sad, disheartened, but thinking, okay, I got to hang on to it. I got to keep it. I got to keep my stuff. And he probably went to his dying days with all his stuff knowing, I got to keep it. <sighs> I gotta keep it. And Jesus mentions brothers and mothers and sisters and family and homes and lands. And all the time, Jesus is calling people, come and follow me. And those that say no, think in the middle of the story, I gotta keep it. I gotta hang on to it. What would it be for you? What would the narrator be looking down at our life story and be saying, no, you think you're hanging on, but no. What keeps us from building our lives towards this end? It's those other things in our life that are really what are attractive to us. Those other things in our life that are really most valuable to us. Those other things in our life that we've built our life around. That we've said, this is what matters. This is where I get joy. This is where I get life. This is where I get a sense of even knowing who I am. And if Jesus were to come to you and say, get rid of this, what would it be for you that maybe you would hang on to thinking you were actually hanging on to it and doing it well? See, maybe even for some of you, if you're not Christians, maybe this is what actually has kept you from Jesus. There's a lot of things that can keep us from Jesus. We can have intellectual questions of, well, why does God allow suffering or... Uh, what about science and faith and how do those uh, collide together? I mean, we can have all these different questions, but sometimes it's this very thing for this guy. He respected Jesus. He was a good person. I mean, he says, I've done this and I've done this. And Jesus doesn't say, yeah, right. He's a good guy. But it was something that Jesus would put his hand on and say, come follow me that kept him. Maybe that's what it is for you. Maybe what actually keeps you from saying, Jesus, I'm going to go with you. Is something that you're afraid that he would take, that he would call you to leave. What keeps us? It could be anything. Good things. Notice Jesus doesn't say, hey, get rid of your drugs and follow me. Get rid of your porn stash and follow me. And get rid of, you know, your, your list of people you're going to kill and follow me. It's good things. There's nothing wrong with wealth. There's nothing wrong with mothers and brothers and sisters and home and lands and the other things that Jesus mentions. It's good things, but that have become more important to us, that have become our sense of value and identity and fulfillment and satisfaction that keep us from him. So what does this look like for us then to go with him, to listen to his call? If, if we're not going to be the rich young ruler in the story, if we're not going to be him, 
but we're going to be people that would actually say, okay, I'll go with you. What, what does that look like for us? What does it look like to answer his call to follow him? Because over and over again, when Jesus interacts with people, that is the call. If you read through Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, those are the, the books that describe Jesus's life and his ministry here. If you read through those, the call that Jesus gives over and over again is come and follow me. Come, and, come leave that and follow me. Come leave that and follow me. And even when he wants to heat it up, he says, come die to actually live. Come lose to actually gain. He says something crazy and says, if anyone would be my disciple, which is if anyone would be with me, he must take up his cross and follow me, which means he must die and, and live with me. So what does that mean for us? What does that look like for us? And it's two things. One, it's, it's to surrender. See, here's a question. Are you willing to let Jesus completely define you? Are you willing to let Jesus completely define your life? Not just teach you good things, not just come to him and say, good teacher, not just say, I'd like some advice, not just even with humility and with respect, come before his knees like this man, but are you willing to let Jesus actually define you? That is different. That's what Jesus was calling this man to. He didn't want to be this man's teacher. He didn't want to be this man's instructor or, or someone that this man looked up to. He said, are you willing to let me define you? Are you willing to surrender completely to this call? Follow me. See, what, what it means for us is to follow him. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, talked about how what often happens is whether before you're a Christian or maybe sometime after you're a Christian, we have these ideas in our life about what's good and what's bad. And we go, some things are good and some things are bad, and everybody lives with some sort of moral code, right? And, and you may become a Christian and then feel like, well, you know what? There's probably going to be some things added to the bad list and some things added to the good list. But as, as long as I kind of change it a little bit and do the good things that I'm supposed to do, some increased level of responsibility, perhaps, then I'll kind of be able to do what I want to do. And that's kind of how often we view what it means to be a Christian. I've got to kind of pay my good tax. That, okay, I've signed up for this, and so now there's some other good things I'm supposed to do and some other bad things I'm not supposed to do. And, I, and as long as I pay those dues, I can kind of get on then with what I want life to be. But, but here's what C.S. Lewis said based on these verses in the Bible. He says this, the terrible thing, the almost impossible thing is to hand over your whole self, all your wishes and precautions to Christ. But it's far easier than what we are all trying to do instead. For what we are trying to do is remain what we call ourselves, to keep personal happiness as our great aim in life, and yet at the same time, be good. We're all trying to let our mind and heart go their own way, centered on money or pleasure or ambition, and hoping, in spite of this, to behave honestly and chastely and humbly. So we, we still want to center our life on what we want it about and be good. And that is exactly what Christ warned us you could not do. In the end, you will either give up trying to be good or else become one of those people who, as they say, lives for others. 
but always in a discontented, grumbling way, always wondering why the others do not notice it more, and always making a martyr of yourself. And once you have become that, you will be a far greater pest to anyone who has to live with you than you would have been if you remained, frankly, selfish. The Christian way is different, harder and easier. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I've not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. I'll give you a new self. Instead, in fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. That's what Jesus is calling to. That's surrender. That's Jesus saying, I don't want this piece. And th- I want you. And are we willing to come to Jesus? What does this mean for us? What does it look like for us? It looks like, have you ever done this? Have you ever done this? Have you ever honestly said to God, my life is yours? Not, okay, I'll try to live this piece as a good person. I'll try to kind of live this piece as a good person. But this is really what I'm doing. And C.S. Lewis says it's harder to do that. Because you know what happens? We keep feeling like Jesus is distracting us from what we really want. It would be as if the, the rich guy, the, the young guy, had, had kind of gone with Jesus and kept a good chunk of his stuff, though. And then Jesus is always saying, hey, you need to get rid of that. It's like, oh, man, another thing? Oh, another? Jesus is saying, no, I don't. I want all of you. I want you. Not a little bit of this and a little bit of that. I want your life. Have you done that? Have you said to him, my life is yours with no conditions? It's yours. That's what it looks like for us. It looks like surrender and it looks like sacrifice. See, Jesus probably isn't going to show up at our door and say, I want you to get rid of all of your money. Or I want you to get rid of all of your job, or I I want you to get rid of all of your, you know, Jesus lists, mothers and brothers and sisters. I want you to get, some of you be like, yes, thank you, Jesus. Okay, now I'll follow you. If you call me, it's the opposite, you know. If you call me to get rid of that, then I'll follow you. He's probably not going to do that. He's probably not going to say, I want you to get rid of all of this, everything, and then I want, I want you to follow me. That's probably not going to happen. But so what does it look like for us? First, it looks like surrender, which is coming to him and really saying a heart posture my life, all of it, without condition, is yours. And then second, it looks like sacrifice, which is saying, is, is your life expecting to sacrifice? Maybe Jesus isn't showing up saying, get rid of all of this, but, but do you live often trying to hang on to things? Or do you know that Jesus, when he calls us, when he speaks to us, that yes, it does mean, okay, I can't do this. My time's got to go here. My money's got to go here. My work's got to go here. My home and my children and all the different things that Jesus mentions, it, it will be a sacrifice. Do you come with a heart of, I want to sacrifice. I want to die to live. I want to lose to gain. Do we come like that? Or are we always going, what will I lose if I do this? What will I miss out on if I do this? What will happen if I do this? Bargaining. What it looks like for us to live our lives 
saying, I'm going to build a life. The picture I'm working towards is to, is to glorify him. It's to show his goodness and greatness. What it looks like for us is to come to him and say, all of my life belongs to you. No conditions. And I will sacrifice. I expect that. You may not call me to get rid of all my money. You may not call me to get rid of all, but I come in a posture of sacrifice, not in a posture of bargaining. That's what it looks like for us. And finally is this, what would happen if we built our lives towards that end? If we actually said, you know what, life is short. It's short. And I'm going to be forgotten. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to build my life towards the end that God says it's for. I'm going to build my life to glorify him and show his goodness and greatness. That's, that's what I'm going to do. Everything I do, all the puzzle pieces, they're going to fit together to show his goodness and greatness. I'm going to surrender. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to follow him. What would happen if we built our lives towards this end? You know what Jesus says? He says it right here in the text. He says we aren't getting the short end. He says we're not missing out. Jesus looks at this man when he asks the question. Jesus looks at him and it says he looked at him and he loved him. Here's the thing. A lot of us have a picture of God that he's trying to take from us. God wants to take my time and he wants to take my money. And even in this, man, okay, Jesus, that's really intense. You want to take this guy's money from him. But Jesus, it says, looks at him with love and tells him to get rid of everything and follow him. And Jesus says that nobody has left anything that in this life and in the life to come will not receive a hundredfold. See, what happens when we live our lives towards this end? Jesus says we don't miss out. Over and over again, the Bible says, yeah, lay down your life to follow him and pick up your cross and follow him and lose to follow him and die to follow him. But it also says lose to gain and die to live. And Jesus makes a call and says, get rid of it all and come and follow me. Get rid of it all and be with me. Jesus goes, I I, want to give you the most loving thing I could give to you. Get rid of it all and come with me. And you'll have riches in heaven, he says. And what does that mean? I mean, I don't think we spend money in heaven. But it means something. It means something. It means there's some sort of value that pays dividends in the life to come. And and Jesus says, look, nobody's ever left anything that hasn't received in this life and in the life to come. hundredfold. See, what happens if we live our life, if we build our lives towards the end of saying, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. Well, first we receive in this life joy from following him, from being with him, from going where he goes. I've never met somebody, look, I've never met somebody that has genuinely said, I am going to do this and isn't a person filled with joy. There's people like C.S. Lewis describes that say, I'm living towards others and they're a pest because they're not really But I've never met somebody that has said, surrender, sacrifice for you, Jesus, that isn't a person filled with joy. Because Jesus says, your life, your life will experience what it's actually built for. You'll actually experience life the way you were meant to live. You'll be tapping into your purpose. You know, sometimes people get a job, they get a new job, and they go, oh, I love this job. Why? And part of it often is because, oh, I feel like I'm really doing what I'm supposed to be doing. What if your whole life was that? Jesus calls us into that. He says, come live what you were created for. And he says, you will 
no one, no one, no one's going to miss out. And later, not just now, but later, Jesus says, truly, I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now and in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus says, look, you won't miss out here and you won't miss out later. And this is important. Be careful lest you boast like Peter. Peter says, Jesus, we left everything for you. And Jesus goes, look, no one's ever left anything for me. Really. Because you will receive. See, if you're the kind of person that says, okay, yeah, I've done that. I've lived my life for you, Jesus. I've done this great, awesome thing for you. Jesus goes, you're missing it. Because you're not, you're not giving me anything. Jesus says, I'm giving you something by inviting you into this. Jesus says, no one's ever made a sacrifice really for me. You gain. Jesus isn't, look, here's the truth. Jesus isn't calling us to miss out on anything. He's calling us to something better. He's calling us to a deeper joy. We don't know what would have happened with this guy. I like to think about it. What would have happened with him if he would have said yes? I joke sometimes, you know, that maybe we would read in the Bible, first and second, rich young ruler, you know. Maybe he would have been the 13th apostle. Or number 12, he would have replaced Judas after Judas killed himself. Like, I'm ready. Who knows? We don't know what would, have, what would have happened if this guy would have said yes. We don't know. But we can know what would happen if we do. We don't know what would happen with him, but we can know what would happen with us. Here's what this means. Here's what this means just for our life. Come to Jesus. For those of you that are Christians, come to him and say, it's all yours put no conditions, and I trust you that you're not calling me to leave anything or lose anything, but you're calling me to a deeper and a better joy. That's what that means. What does it look like to build a life? What does it look like? And we'll talk about this of all the different puzzle pieces, but this is the big picture. What is our life about? It's about showing the goodness and greatness of God. It's about glorifying him. It's about living to say, I will follow you. You know why I love this? Because here's what it means. You don't have to have a lot of money to be able to live it up. Like Tim McGraw, it's, a lot of, it's pretty expensive to go skydiving and ride a bull named Fu Manchu and do all those things. If, you, if, you're, if really life is short, if life is short and I'm gonna be forgotten so I need to live it up, man, you gotta have a lot of cash. I love this because you can be dirt poor and live for your purpose and live in a way that is what the Bible says is wise. And you know what? You don't have to be someone great. You don't have to live a life that a statue is built for you. But you can say, Jesus, my life belongs to you. I surrender it to you. It's all yours. And that is a life. That is a life that Jesus says is living what it was made for, is living into the exact purpose that the universe was made for, to glorify God. And you can do that without leaving some giant legacy, and you can do that without exploring all that the world has to offer. 
You can do that by being a person. It's as simple as this. It says, Jesus, my life belongs to you. I surrender to you. And I'm going to follow you. And I'm going to expect sacrifice, but I'm going to expect it's not really sacrifice because you're calling me into something better. We can all do that. And that's our purpose. And that's what all of our lives should be building towards. And that's a scary thing, though. To go to Jesus with with that utter release. What allows us to do that? When we take communion every week, we remember what actually allows us to do that. You know what Jesus did? He surrendered himself to us. Do you know what Jesus did? He didn't just give us a little bit of his time and a little bit of his money and a little bit of... Jesus said, all of me is for you. See, how can we put our life into someone's hands and say, all of me is for you? How can we do that? Because that's exactly what Jesus did. And Jesus came to this earth and said, I surrender myself to you. Doesn't that build trust in your heart to know that the God that invites you and calls you to follow him is actually the God that said, I surrender myself to you? What? And he calls us to sacrifice, but didn't he already do that? Jesus sacrificed his life on the cross. His body was broken. His blood was shed to forgive us of our sins and to bring us into his family. And you know what that does? It allows us to trust him. Jesus says, come and follow me. And when we look and we go, I think he's worth following. I think I can trust him because he already surrendered for me. He sacrificed for me. Jesus said, it's impossible to get into the kingdom of God. But with God, all things are possible. You see, God made a way for us through Jesus to be with him, to know him. This is the good news. The good news is this. Because of what Jesus has done, you can have life with him. You can have a life that is built for what it was made for. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be amazing. You don't have to be great. You don't have to be intelligent. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I trust you. And you can trust him because he entrusted himself to us. He gave himself to us. And when we do that, we build our lives towards the end it was made for. Let's pray.